0: So last week, we started a series on grace, this, this idea that God has done something not as a result of anything that, that we bring to the table, but because he wants to. He, he loves us because he loves us. He saves us because he saves us. He does not save us because of anything we did or did not do, how well we're able to uh, quote the Bible or give to the poor or be kind to our spouse or not cuss or whatever it is. These are not the reasons that God does the things that he does. He does it because of his unmerited favor toward us. And so we talked about Ephesians, uh, that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins and, and, and we walked with the this, this sons of disobedience and we were all children of I mean, it's a terrible situation that we found ourselves in. But God, being rich in mercy, saves us. By grace, we've been saved. And so we've, we've been reflecting on this idea of what grace looks like, the essence of this God and take, taking initiative in our life. And so what I wanted us to consider today, what I wanted us to think about was, okay, we, we all, I think to some degree or another, believe that you, you come to a place where you realize you need God, or maybe you're, you're kind of thinking about that right now, and we recognize, okay, God's grace is met here Jesus did some things in history that have ramifications for my life here at this point of salvation, at this point of making a decision or receiving him or responding, however you want to put it, responding to what God has said. But what happens for the rest of your life? Do we start in grace and then kind of then try to live in a a sort of I'm going to do my best to do my duty to God and my country? Am I going to... Um, push and, and depend on performance, or is, is, grace, that some, is grace something that, that continues to be a force, a power that propels us forward? And if so, how do we get to it? So we're going to read out of Hebrews chapter four, uh, verses 14 through 16. This is the passage that talks about Jesus as our great high priest. So stand with me as we read together. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father God, we need your grace. We need it to bring new life, to take us from being dead in our trespasses and sins to being alive together with Christ. And we need it to walk out this walk of faith, this journey of sanctification, of being Brought from lesser to greater levels of holiness and and satisfaction in you. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that the throne of grace is wide open to us, that our high priest, Jesus Christ, sits at the right hand of the Father, and that because of his mediation, because of his advocating for us, because of his righteous and just sacrifice, uh, we can approach. Father, I pray that by your spirit, we would come to you and receive the grace that we need for help, that we would not seek it in other places, that we would not look for help in other locations, but we would seek you out as our refuge, the source and soul satisfier of our so- souls. i pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So, this section, and, and really all of Hebrews, if you read it, you should read it. It's, it's going to take everything, many things out of the Old Testament, and talk about them and say how Jesus is way better. And so, here we have this, this comment how we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, I don't want to assume that you guys know what a high priest is. I wasn't super familiar before I studied this. The high priest, and and really many of the Old Testament uh, ordinances or things that God set up were intended not just to help the people of Israel, but to be a picture in the natural of what God wanted to accomplish in Jesus Christ. Many of the things that we see, even uh, the redemption in Egypt, the, the priestly service, the sacrificial system, all of these things, the tabernacle, these things were physical representations of what God intended to do for us spiritually. So we see in Egypt, Moses bringing the Israelites out of bondage to slavery and into the promised land. And we see in the New Testament, this idea, this, this metaphor of redemption being a way of talking about our, our being, being brought out of the bondage of sin and being brought into the freedom in Christ. We see in the priestly system that, that there is a need for us to have a mediator, someone who can stand between God and us because God is holy and we are not. And there needs to be someone who understands our issues, who understands our problems, our needs, our weaknesses, who, but who isn't affected by them and can stand before a holy God. And we need someone who can interface with this holy God and speak to this holy God and and receive his message and give him to us and so we we see the prophets so we see Moses and Aaron and we see all of the old testament prophets serving these in these functions and and kind of providing us with categories to think about what God wants to do so we see Jesus come on on the scene and he's he's the better prophet right so the the prophet spoke the word of God Jesus Christ is the word of God we saw the kings and the judges ruling over the nation of Israel and and we see Jesus coming to be the king of kings, the better king. And we see here in this text Jesus being the high priest. And so in Leviticus, we don't have to turn there, it's long and it's Leviticus. So... Um, <laughs> You should read it though. It's really good and it's very important. Uh, I, I joke about it, but all of the, the Bible is beneficial and it's, it's really beneficial. And you can, if you can engage with the Old Testament thinking in terms of what God is doing in Jesus Christ, it makes the Old Testament much more um, applicable and, and approachable. So in Leviticus chapter 16, God gives Moses direction on how Aaron is to, to work and be the high priest specifically on this day of atonement. And so there was one day every year that the people of Israel would gather together and the high priest would, he would cleanse himself. He would go through some ritualistic uh, purity rit- rituals and he would prepare himself to go into what was called the Holy of Holies. And he would, uh, he would have a sacrifice, a bull sacrifice for himself to purify for his own sins. And then these two goats, one of which would, would be killed. And that would be the atoning sacrifice. In other words, the the wrath of God, the the anger of God, God's anger towards Israel and their sin would be atoned for. It would be taken by the death of this goat. And then the other goat, uh, the high priest would would confess the sins of Israel and then they would shoo that goat out into the wilderness. They would take, uh, metaphorically, the sins of Israel would go away would be separated from the people. And so we have this very physical representation of what what salvation looks like. It requires blood. It requires our sins to be taken away. It requires God's atoning work, or God's wrath to be atoned for, God's wrath to be taken, absorbed, received, something to be the object of his wrath. And if not the goat, then the people. And so... This is the function of the high priest. And the writer of Hebrews says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to this confession. Jesus is the perfect high priest who now mediates in heaven at the right hand of God. When we, when we confess, he talks about this confession, when we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior, when we when we basically see and hear the gospel, the good news about what Jesus Christ did, he, he lived this ho- perfect holy life that we all were responsible to live. He died the death that we deserve to die, much like the goat in the Old Testament. He, not only is the high, he's the high priest, but he's also the sacrifice. So he, he receives the perfect wrath of God, he dies on the cross, and he rises get, again on the third day, defeating Satan's sin, and death. When we take hold of that confession... When we take hold of that, that message, then certain things are opened up to us. One of which is this idea that we have now an advocate in heaven. Now, the, the thing about Jesus, the thing that the, the, the Hebrew writer is, um, the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is, we don't just have a, an earthly high priest. You know, the, the Day of Atonement happened once every year. Once every, and I mean, just take a, a survey of your week of maybe your day, and think about how many times you sinned. And I, I'm not just talking about like the big things, but the little things. Th- if, if you were to make a list every year having to come before God and, and we're confessing this and realizing we need God, we need God. And then we come to this New Testament reality that Jesus Christ died once for all. That, that he is a greater high priest because he doesn't need to sacrifice but one time. He doesn't need to do this on an annual basis. And in fact, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, the writer goes so far as to say this it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's impossible. In in the Old Testament, God was giving them a picture and saying, reminding them, one, of their sinfulness and their need for someone, someone to redeem them. And God was patient, it says in other places. God was patient enough to wait for Jesus to come. He, he, he held off on, on former sins in order to bring about redemption in Jesus Christ. Jesus is this great heavenly high priest. He's not just an earthly one. He's, he's a high priest who has access to God. You know, it's one thing to have a friend who, who can come with you and, and maybe take you to a place. Um maybe an exclusive restaurant. It's another thing to know the owner, right? Your friend might have some some inns. He might, you know, I've got some coupons, and they owe me a favor, and and maybe we can get in. If you know the owner, they're going to bring you in, maybe take you to the chef's table in the kitchen, and you get to sit down, and, and it's a very different thing to add that kind of access. In the Old Testament, the people were not even allowed to go into the the Holy of Holies. And there were certain places that they could not get to because their sinfulness, their unholiness was something that, that had to be separate from God. It, God was giving them a picture of, of the distance that sin creates between God and his people. But in the New Testament, we, we, we have this, this high priest who is constantly advocating for us. Right now, he's advocating for us. And because of that, we can approach God We have a heavenly high priest, not just an earthly one. But not only that, we have one who sympathizes with us. Have you considered the fact that Jesus Christ is not just your Savior, but He's also our older brother? Sounds like a kind of a weird thing to say, but but He's our older brother. You know, if we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, He's the older brother, God is the Father. He's he's our older brother and and he's experienced the things we have experienced. Look at verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. It's it's interesting. God doesn't give us the option of saying, well, Jesus, you don't understand. You're God. Because in in the un, un, un- incomprehensible reality of, of who Jesus is. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. You know, 100% plus 100% equals 100%. I don't know. This is, this is the math of God. It's the same thing as the Trinity. Three plus three plus three is one. Okay. You take it by faith. But Jesus, he lived a fully human life. He lived a fully human life uh, as our second representation, Adam came, and Adam was to be our our uh, our representative. If if Adam succeeded, his his children would succeed, his grand his progeny would succeed, his descendants would, would succeed. Adam didn't succeed; he'd failed. And and yes, Adam and Eve failed. But but when the Bible talks about uh, our sin. It talks about the sin of Adam, and it talks about Jesus being our second Adam. And so Jesus comes, and he is fully human. He understands what you're going through. Now, you may think, Jesus, you don't understand. But but the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, he does understand. And so sometimes what we have to do is step back and take it by faith that God, you understand, Jesus, you understand what I'm going through I don't know how you understand what I'm going through. I don't feel like what I'm experiencing is exactly what you're experiencing, but he experienced suffering. He experienced rejection. He experienced temptation to sin on many occasions. I mean, he was a child. Children are temptation finders <laughs> and, and, and dangerous sharp object finders along the way. But he, li- he lived a whole life you know, God didn't put put His record on pause and say, "Well, we'll start t- keeping track when you turn 18. Before that, you know, do whatever you want to do." No, it says that He He lived and He learned o- obedience. He obeyed actively. He understands us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect has been tempted, like that. He was tempted in the wilderness. He was tested time and time again by his circumstances. I mean, just be, just imagine, put yourself in a situation, you're surrounded by 10 knuckleheads from very different situations, very different backgrounds, very different um, socioeconomical uh, standings. You got these fishermen, kind of like blue-collar workers. You've got this tax collector who's, I mean, when you have your own category, I heard one pastor talking about, they had their own category for, for sin. So it was like sinners and tax collectors. Like that's bad when your job description is like, I mean, they're really bad. They're not just sinners, they're tax, tax collectors. He was hanging out with these other guys, these potentially good Jewish guys. And and, and Jesus is in this, this cadre of, of, of knuckleheads. And, and you got to imagine there are moments where he's just really tempted to say things he shouldn't say, to think things he shouldn't think. To act ways he shouldn't act, to not forgive his, his family, his family, his mom, his brothers, they, they basically treat him like he's crazy. I mean, do you have family members who treat you like you're crazy? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> he can relate to you. Jesus succeeded where we've all failed. And so not only can he sympathize, he can stand between us and God. The problem with the earthly high priest was that he, he had to kill a bull. He had to atone for his own sins. Jesus didn't have to do that. So he says, we have a high priest who can sympathize. So what does that mean for us? Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you need grace are you in a time of need? I want to repeat that. Are you in a time of need? The word there, confidence, it, it, it has this connotation of, of a joyful heart. It's not just, well, I feel like I can do this. There's a, there's, a, there's a skip in your step about it. Let us approach with a joyful heart. You know, I think about Christmas time and I think about my kids and my own life and, and you, you, maybe you put up the tree and it, you, you put some, some presents under the tree and you have names and, and the kids just begin to circle like vultures as the days get closer to December 25th. You know, maybe when you're not looking, they they, open, and they just kind of shake it. And there, there's a kind of eagerness that's building. And on the 25th, you know, you don't wake up and, and find your kids asleep and just kind of like, we'll get to it when we get to, Dad. I, you know, we had a long night last night. I'm going to sleep and then got a couple chores I want to do and then m- maybe we can do that, right? No, you're waking up at 5 in the morning. Like, what's happening? And little Billy's like, I want to open my presents. There's a joyful heart that is approaching this these presents, these gifts, and, and what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, there is there's a tree with presence of grace and mercy that God your Father has prepared that Jesus, the Son of God, has made a way for you to come and approach. And he says, come on, come on with confidence. Do you need grace? Do you want to open this box of grace? Do you want to open this box of mercy? Come on. How do you approach God? How do you personally approach God? When you think about your prayer life, when you think about maybe the lack thereof, when you think about reading your Bible, coming to church, do you approach God with kind of a uh, an unwillingness, maybe a, a fear, maybe a shieldedness, kind of a sideways, I'm, I'm going to offer my side, but I'm not going to, turn to face him because I'm afraid of what he's going to say to me or how he's going to look at me. You know, I, we've talked about this before, but but maybe you've had encounters and, and maybe you were raised in, in contexts where love was not necessarily communicated in the way it ought to have been. Or, or maybe you've believed some things about yourself and, and you understand, and the confession that you hold is, you know, Jesus died for my sins, but I still have some sins that I have to, you know, I have to atone for. You know, I, I understand Jesus died for those sins, but these sins over here, I've got to do. i got to do better, Pastor. I got to do better, and I'm going to do better. And once I do better, then I'll approach God. Once I get this stuff right, then I'll go. Then I'll go and ask for grace and mercy. How, how do you approach God? How do, how do you? And, and if you don't know, think about how you treat other people in your life. When they sin against you, think about how you treat other people in your life when they fail. Do you, do you immediately kind of jump to judgment? Do you kind of jump to, to anger, to frustration? Because a, thi- a lot of times those, those pictures are pictures of, of your disposition toward your own God. You know, if you're constantly walking around grumbling and angry and frustrated, unforgiving, bitter, Maybe it's because you haven't, you haven't held on to the right confession. Maybe it's because you don't see Jesus as your own high priest. You're still trying to mediate yourself between you, yourself and God. saying, I, I need to get to you, God. I, thank you, Jesus. I, 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 one, one second, I'm gonna, I'll talk to you in a minute. But first, I need, to, I need to get right with God. I need to do these things so I can be right with God. When God is saying, no, I've, I've done it. As Pastor Jermaine said, you, you're dead in your trespasses. You're not like, oh, I'm limping in my trespasses. I'm going to get to Jesus. No, you're dead. You are unresponsive as it relates to God. And so if he saves you by grace, then surely he'll hear you by grace. If He if was okay to, to come to you when you were spiritually stinky and gross and uh, decomposing, then, then now that you're alive, certainly he'll allow you to come in. And he's not going to now start saying, well, we're going to keep track now. No, Jesus died for, for sins past, present, and future. He is our high priest, and he has atoned for all of our works, all of our sins. There's not a sin that, that there's not a, a jar of, of sins that, that holds God's wrath that he's still waiting to pour out on those who have responded to Jesus. If Jesus paid for your sin, God's not going to come back and say, you need to pay, to pay again. There's no double jeopardy. How, how do you respond to God? So the good news here, as it relates to grace, is that God has it in spades for you. Some of you, you you've held back from approaching God. You don't pray to God. When you get angry, you you gotta hide that from God. When you get sad, you gotta hide that from God. When you feel depressed, you gotta hide that from God because you feel like, that's gonna disqualify me. That's gonna, God's not gonna hear me. But God, he's listening. And it's not dependent upon whether or not you're doing well. It's dependent upon our high priest, our heavenly high priest. And he is advocating for you even now. If you have this confession if you can confess with your mouth Jesus is my Lord and Savior then Jesus is your high priest and if Jesus is your high priest then God is saying come to me with joyful confidence come to me and receive mercy and find grace in time of need are you in a time of need are you in a time of need Sometimes we don't read our Bibles and we don't pray because we don't understand that God has something for us. Sometimes we want to approach God when, we're, when we feel cleaned up. And I hope, that, I hope that when you come to church, that the feeling that you have here is the same feeling that God has toward you. You're so welcome here. However, come as you are. Don't stay as you are, but come as you are. Because there's grace. God has set up the Christmas tree and there's grace and there's mercy and, and there's, no, there's no end to it. Christmas doesn't end for us. Do you have need? Come to the throne of grace. Come to the throne. He calls it the throne of grace. Our great king, our Lord of all the universe the one who is holding everything together, stars that are billions of miles away, all the information that you could ever imagine, he's got it in his head, and he calls his throne the throne of grace. Come to the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy. Let's pray.